Hello and welcome to the Ireland on the Fly podcast about the people and places of fly fishing in Ireland. And for the latest episode, myself and Tom Doc Sullivan decided we'd get an early season salmon report from the droughts and speak to Shane Gallagher about the first fish of the season and how fishing has been in the first few weeks. Yeah, and uh, we also spoke to Shane a lot more just about the fishing from going back from the effects the lockdowns have had on him over the last couple of years. And very interestingly, into the history uh, of the Larian estate. And um, that was a particular interest to me. And he goes back uh, quite a length, uh, explaining going through the different owners and everything. Uh, also, as well, he discusses the blank days, and um, they're not just a thing of the recent past. And going on the records there, there's been quite a few blank days, which is good to hear. Exactly. Kind of gives you hope, maybe. Actually, I thought it was very good, um, Tom, just on that, wasn't he? Like just talking about kind of. Yes, obviously, you know, fish numbers are lower, but at the same time, not to be looking back too much with kind of rose-tinted glasses. He's a, he's a firm believer in that. Like, he was very strong on that, I thought. Yeah, he was really strong on that. I mean, like, I think we're all kind of guilty of that anyway, Dara. You know, yeah. it's like, what is it? The school days were your best days. So, yeah, um, it's really, it's good to hear that, you know? Yeah, yeah. Because, make, the mo- um, make the most of what you have today, I suppose. That's what I take from it, you know? Yeah, very much so. Very much so. But look, it was great to catch up with Shane as always. Um, But before we hear from him, Tom, um, Carb has just opened in the last few days. So did you get out and how's the fishing been? Right. uh, I actually didn't get out on opening day. I was meant to get out. um, But then, unfortunately, I had to go to a funeral, which uh, you can never plan for. So I didn't get out. Now, a couple of the buddies were out. It was okay. Best way of putting it. A few lads out fly fishing, ones and twos. So nothing, nothing disastrous, but nothing brilliant. What were conditions um, like? Conditions, <laughs> just about manageable that day. Is, uh, it turned cold and started raining. And then, since then, a week after, and it was a bit like what we discussed when we were chatting to Mike, uh, you couldn't have got out. There was one afternoon you could have got out, um, but like we've had uh, the storms, Eunice and the likes, so, you know, it's just really curtailed. So like, as I was saying, if you'd have planned to come down, let's say the Friday after the season opened, uh, you would not have got out. So. Yeah. yeah, it is like we were saying, kind of, isn't it? You, if you can take the moments when you can, but, you know, obviously that helps if you're living nearby, you know? Yeah, I mean, that's what we said. You know, I'm very lucky to live close to the lake. But, uh, you know, this time of the year, if you're, if you're planning to travel, you're taking a wee bit of a gamble. You yeah. really are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, well, sure. Look, fingers crossed that we get some more news maybe in the next episode. Just how the fishing has gone. Hopefully, it'll pick up, uh, especially conditions wise, uh, in the coming weeks. Um. So, look, thanks, Tom. Let's get back to this week's in- interview with, with Shane Gallagher for his latest report from the Drows. Um, as we hear about the opening few weeks on the river. Yeah, I suppose it was an earlier start this year than we've had uh, the previous few seasons. Uh, we had the first fish caught on the thirteenth of January. So that was the first January fish since uh, 2018. So it's uh, it's a positive start. Uh, we've had four fish in January. We've had three in February. The latest just about an hour and a half ago landed. So yeah, it's, it's a good start. Yeah. Good timing. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Tell us about that fish. Yeah, please. Uh, a guy basically, he's, he's, he's staying with us tonight uh, himself uh, and his friend, uh, Connor and Aiden. So... Uh, Connor Burke was just getting tackled up in the in the van. He just pulled up on the river uh, at the old sea pool down near the mouth of the river. And Aiden, third cast, got stuck into a fish. Nice fish, about seven pounds. Uh, the tide was in at full in at half two. So I'd say it was just tide fresh, fresh in, you know. 
Wow. He got, he got on, on, on a yellow plane seat. Yeah. Hot off the press, literally. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I was just doing the school run and I got a phone call to say, like, uh, somebody's got a fish. So I uh, had, to, had to open up a bottle of whiskey and give him a quick half one to settle his nerves. Oh, yeah. That's how he needed it. Yeah. It must be great, actually, because it's interesting that you're saying that, Shane. Like, you know, because obviously, you know, life goes on. You know, you have to run the fishery, but like you said, you're doing the school run, your family stuff, and like, so anytime yeah. a salmon is caught, are you literally pinged the message? Like, well, it, it was uh, Bill was up there in the shop, so he just gave me a ring. So definitely for springers, we might open a bottle of whiskey for a grill snow, but uh, for for springers in uh, January or February, definitely, I think they deserve a, a half one. Brilliant. I'm sure it'll push now. For grills, so if you were pushed now, you just might open it. Well, maybe if it's somebody's first one. Yeah, good, good. That's good to hear. <laughs> and come here, yeah. tell us, Shade, what was um, New Year's Day like? Because it was your first opening on the Drows yeah, uh, so, since the pandemic. Well, we we had an opening day in 2020 uh, as normal. Uh, the lockdown didn't come in until March, mid March, when St Patrick's Day. So last year, then <clears throat> we didn't really have an opening day. Uh, if you remember the lockdown came in after Christmas. Yeah. So 2021 season, basically it was, uh, it, it didn't start as normal at all. So it was, it was great then this year to be fully back to normal. Uh, we had about 80 anglers out on, on opening day on the 1st of January. It was wow. probably the mildest opening day that I ever remember on for 1st of January. We were going around wow. in shirt sleeves. We actually let the fire go out. And normally you'd be huddled around the, around the stove in the package shop on, on a, a New Year's morning. But it, it, I think it was about 14 degrees at one stage. Conditions wow. were, were, were good. Water levels were, were low, if anything. It got very stormy then later in the day, which wasn't ideal for, for fly fishing. But I think just everybody was delighted to be out. To you know, A lot of people hadn't, been, hadn't really fished since the 2019 season. So people were, were glad to be back in the riverbank. Just, uh, they had you know, maybe some new, new gear that they wanted to try out and just talk to friends again and just sort of a return to normality really yeah i was going to say that there was a kind of a sense nearly of it was that that kind of things are getting back to normal the dress is open on january the first things are getting back to normal like yeah it's um it's just a good sign like you know the very first day of the year the very first day of the season and you know it was pretty uncertain right up until we we got to go ahead for for opening day because like pre pre pre-christmas people were afraid that there was going to be a repeat of uh, of 2021 that you know cases would surge but that didn't materialize and uh, i think there was just relief all around um i actually just wanted to touch on that for a sec tom and shane just like what's it like running a fishery because like you're at the whim of you know obviously okay a pandemic is a you know once in a century or once in a generation thing like that but like you're at the whim is a bit like i suppose a lot of farmers were talking about you know foot and mouth you know in terms of you're told to shut down and that's it. And like when you're so dependent on, you know, people coming, like it was a very stressful time for you as a fisher owner, owner. Was it the first time you'd kind of experienced something like this? Well, I suppose we're used to uncertainty in, uh, in, in angling. Um, I just <laughs> was down here in the office. I was looking at uh, my family took over the fishery in 1978. And I, I just found a, a trout and salmon from November, 1978. And the, like there's a whole um, article about the need for a complete ban on all methods of fishing for salmon in Ireland. So that w- <laughs> there's been a lot of water under the bridge since then. So you know, when you, you say know, all methods, you mean all legal methods, or yeah, like, are yeah, we talking yeah. rod and line? Uh, like 
Yeah, rod in line. I'll just read out the first bit. Uh, an immediate ban must be imposed on all methods of capturing salmon, including angling, until such time as Ireland's salmon-bearing rivers have again reached a self-sustaining stock level. So that's wow. November 1978. 44 years ago. What, so, when, and actually, sorry, just, just on that, Shane, yeah. like, when, was your, when did your dad buy the fishery? So he, he bought the fishery in September 1977, and then our first opening day was 1st of January 1978. Yeah. He, he so, bought it in 1977. Who did he buy it from, actually, Shane? He bought it off a guy called Hugh Tunney, who was a, a meat baron. He, he would have been well-known. He he owned Classy Bond Castle, which was the Mountbatten Castle in, in Mulligmore. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. How long, so, had, how long had he owned it? I think he only had it for maybe five years uh, at, at the most. Uh, he bought it off another family called the Ormonds, who were an English family. And then it, ha- it had a series of owners before that. There was a Hamilton family who had a hotel in Bundorn that owned it for maybe 30 years. So uh, originally uh, it, it was uh, the, the estate was put together by uh, a guy called Luke White, who um, he lived in Luttrellstown Castle in Dublin. And, and he was a self-made man. He arrived penniless into Dublin, I think from the Isle of Man or Scotland. I'm not 100% sure which. Yeah. And he started selling uh, second-hand newspapers, day-old newspapers, and then he started tra- trading in um, trading in, in uh, second-hand books. And then during, during the time of the Napoleonic Wars, he um, he was able to loan the British government uh, money at high interest rates, and he made an absolute fortune. So he, he bought Luttrellstown Castle, and he started acquiring shooting and fishing rights in, in the wow. area. I, yeah. I remember doing this second hand newspapers. Sorry. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But isn't it incredible? Because I remember Tom, I was doing this um, documentary years ago with Shane on yeah. this, and he was telling me the history of this. And because yeah, like it's 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 fascinating to think about, it, isn't it? Because obviously it pe- people couldn't afford the newspapers at the time. You know, mm-hmm. and news traveled so slowly back then. You know that you were yeah. willing to pay a penny or whatever it was to get last week's news because it didn't Absolutely. make any difference. Like, yeah, uh-huh. yeah. Imagine, imagine trying to get away with that in the internet day. Like, God, yeah. I suppose back in the 1800s, if you were you reading a day or even a week old newspaper, it was still news to you because you hadn't heard it. So yeah, yeah. 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 And supposedly, actually, just on the Napoleonic thing, um, supposedly it was one of was it the Rothschilds or one of those banking yeah. families that how they made the their money exactly yeah. that they found out what was hap- the result of it first and mm-hmm. were able to make money off the back of it before news reached England. What was going yeah, on? Yeah, so so um. Wow! Day old news and, and up to the hour news it could make money for you in different circumstances. Yeah, you know, just like it's it's kind of okay. We might be working in nanoseconds these days, but it's the same principle, isn't it? In the sense of it's the exact same principle. Yeah, yeah. yeah. really, it is. Yeah. Just a matter of time. It's just timing. <laughs> it's, yeah. Nice segue into fishing. Yeah, <laughs> the running. Yeah. But, you should have uh, been here yesterday. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's it. But actually, I remember as a, on that Shane, I remember you showing me the old um, uh, record books, and you know because yeah. we were talking about oh you know days gone by, and you were showing me like you know kind of weeks, days, weeks go, you know no fish, terrible yeah. conditions, yeah. you know, uh, it, it was like something that you'd hear a conversation nowadays. Like. Yeah, like um, I think you know we, we tend to look back in the past as uh, you know true rose tinted glasses and. You know, the old saying, nostalgia isn't what it used to be, but you never remember the blank days. Uh, you just remember yeah. the what stands out is, oh, yeah, I got this fish and, you know, on X day and 
that's what that's how your memories work. You you might have had twenty blank days before that, but you, you don't recall them. And when you're telling the stories to your the next generation or another anger, that's that's what you recall, and that's that that's what becomes what we our representation of the past. And I think I think that's there's been many many blank days, uh, you know, right down through through the history of angling. I'm sure, like people always talk about, you know, the, the golden the golden area, the golden era, but the in Scotland, I know the the peak uh, year for any catches of, of salmon by angling was 2010, which is only about you know 12 years yeah, ago. Yeah, that's right. Really yeah, it's very it's very funny. I have a book here up there somewhere. Um, Lock fishing, as in L O C H Scottish locks, uh-huh. uh, written by uh, Hamish Stewart in 1900, and he opens he, the first line in it is there is no doubt in my mind that the fishing on Loch Tay was far superior 30 years ago than it is today. Uh, right? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a familiar story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 It's always, always better then. Um, actually, I just want to ask you, just kind of because while we were talking about the kind of the ban on fishing and stuff, or sorry, it wasn't the ban on fishing, it was a ban on travel, obviously, during the pandemic. But do you remember foot and mouth? I do indeed, yeah. yeah. So was there similarities, did you see, from as a fishery owner, like compared to then to the pandemic time? Yeah, like we, we were lucky ourselves during Foot and Mouth that we were able to stay open for the first mile of the fishery because it was through our own land. So, and our cattle were were not out in the fields. It was in the early uh, spring part of the year. And normally in, in this part of the country, anyways, the, the cattle wouldn't be out of their sheds until they were housed. maybe, yeah. yeah, so it yeah. May, could, be, could be as late as April before you're putting cattle out. So we were able to, um, when we did have to put cattle out, then put them away from the river so anglers could, uh, they had a mile of fishing basically. So we weren't as uh, badly affected with foot and mouth as, as the pandemic really. And, and literally like for the pandemic, like did you find yourself kind of, what am I doing with myself? You know, kind of, the kids are driving me nuts. You know, you're, uh-huh. you're forced to stay at home, whereas you're used to being out in the fishery, you know, run, you know, yeah. being so busy running it, being outdoors. Did you did you find it hard to cope with that kind of having to, to stay there? Like? To, to be honest, not really. I just uh, made the most of it. And I think everybody was in the same boat, not just in Ireland, but right around the world. And it was just, uh, you know, you, you just adapt. Um, we, to be honest, if you're going to experience a pandemic, doing it on the banks of a river or near... Uh, um, Loch Melvin and you know with, with the sea just uh, a few miles away we, 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 we were very fortunate really if you remember the, the weather was absolutely fantastic the first lockdown so you know we were out with the kids we, we had seen walked along the riverbank seen things you know together experienced things made the most of it really and um, you know probably we, we have a lot of happy memories uh, from in some ways because uh, it was an opportunity to spend time with the kids they were off school. I was off work. That hopefully we'll never have again. But certainly at, at the time, it was. Uh, it's nice to make the most of that opportunity. Did you get to fish much? Yeah, we like we we have a good pool here out in front yeah. of the house. And, uh, <laughs> normally, when you know there's a, a maybe a paying guest coming down, you, you start to reel in when you see somebody coming. So it was great you to have the have opportunity to, reel to fish. In. Yeah. No reeling in. Those damn yeah, guests. <laughs> Damn! We had some funny, funny times. Like we had uh, one of the kids, uh, the kids, you know, caught some of their first fish, and one of them caught their first bat as well one evening. So, you know, we, <laughs> we, we, we did fun. Yeah, 
I remember Tom actually you were telling me because I remember talking to you at the time um, and you were saying it was just kind of so surreal kind of around um, the area was it like for you like that it was just so quiet you know that you'd normally have seen somebody you know say Mayfly time you would have seen anglers around boats out and it was only really just so just I I think the first lockdown first May 2020 my my experience was that uh, on a May evening when it was getting dark looking over at the Carrig Road which I can see from my side no cars and like the place would always be bustling with cars going back and over and you know guys going out for something to eat yeah it was just quiet the lake was quiet well the lake wasn't completely quiet because the locals could fish okay so during the day there'd be a couple of boats out I don't know did you have many you'd have had a couple of locals that were able to fish with you as well yeah like the I suppose the first lockdown wasn't as restrictive as what we had last year in 2020 if you remember there was a two kilometer uh, yeah, yeah. limit from the early part and that was very restrictive so uh, once we went to five kilometers then that gave a little bit more scope to people yeah yeah, because we saw that there. A lot of locals, a lot of people that live beside the lake, you know, they, they utilise it, should we say. Mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah, there was that strange feeling of it just been so quiet. I mean, leaving aside the fishing, going out of an evening time and just looking over the road and no noise. Mm-hmm. Just no yeah. noise. Yeah. It was nice. And it's very interesting that you say that, Shane, of looking back and looking on the nice part of it. Yeah, there was a lot, you know, there was a lot of good things that we could take from it. Yeah, and I like that's I I hundred percent you know yeah I, you know obviously you know it was horrendous the death the toll on society and people yeah um, yeah it's true yeah Very but true, there yeah. there is a silver cloud to it in the sense of I yeah. think and I'm wondering if you see this Shane in terms of the fishery like that we're hearing this anecdotally in terms of the interest in fishing and nature generally has been you know revitalized re-energized are you seeing any of that from your end? Um. I thought I'd see more of it, to be honest with you. And um, if you look at participation levels in 2020 uh, from what we can ascertain, say, from licensed sales, I know in the UK, in Denmark, they're up maybe 20, 25%. I don't think we've seen that really in, in Ireland, certainly in, not in salmon fishing. Um, maybe we will see it in, in, in future, uh, you know, in, in the seasons to come. But at the moment, I don't think we really have seen it. Um, people are certainly getting out in in nature and enjoying it and appreciating the environment, which, which is great. And maybe that will help awareness for, you know, the importance of protecting what we have and biodiversity and salmon habitat, habitat and everything. But as regards participation in anything, I, I don't, I, I don't really see it just yet. I wonder, is it a longer term play? Like you say, you know, it's, it's something that will just kind of subsume it or, you know, kind of consciousness subconsciousness that yeah we like nature you know and that slowly we'll people who mightn't have been into it as much are slowly kind of maybe deciding do you know what i'm going to change my lifestyle or you know appreciate things a bit more or the flip side of it is we just go back to normal where we are normal begrudging selves giving out <laughs> curmudgeonly going ah you know and then you know it's back to normality like you know yeah 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 that's it's going to be interesting to see how, how that all plays out but certainly um you know uh, people don't tend to get involved in angling by themselves. Normally they're introduced by a family member or somebody will bring you fishing and there's some entry, some connection. And I think that that really needs to be nurtured. Um, you know, like the, um, like we, we had a, a, a strategy there for, for angling development. And I think there, there was no great uh, goal set for, for an increased participation, but even before the pandemic, we haven't really seen the, uh, the benefits of that just yet. 
It's interesting. Watch that's interesting. This, this. That's yeah. really, yeah, it's really interesting that. Um, yeah. But actually, I think you raise a good point there, though, Shane. And I think it's probably maybe overlooked a lot of times is the fact that, yeah, it's normally somebody who gets you involved, like a family member, neighbor, friend. Yeah. You know, and like, I think it'd be because I know myself, like when I, you know, I was um, an uncle at the time when I was younger who introduced me to course fishing um, mm. as a kid. And that that instilled a love for me in fishing in the outdoors. Um, yeah. And subsequently, then when I moved down to Tipperary and I um, started, took up fly fishing. But the really difficult thing I found was I didn't have anybody. So I found I was, you know, flailing around on the, the river, you know, and you know yourself, you hear the stories when you're trying to do it on your own, it takes 10 times as long and any frustrations yeah. and you know, your question is, am I doing this right? What am I doing? You know, it's a lot oh. harder. Whereas if you had like a mentor scheme or I don't know, like, I just think what you said is interesting, Shane, like it kind of little, you know, you'd love to see something like that where you kind of yeah. buddy up with somebody, you know, that like a, a bring a friend fish fishing day or something like that, you know? Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah very much. So that's a very yeah. good one. I've often thought of something like that. Uh, mm-hmm. Cause it, it, we need to sometimes go beyond the tradition, as you said, family member or, or, or friend or a close relative, you know, we need yeah. to to get to get people back into it. Yeah, no, no I think you're dead right. Like, yeah, yeah. Mm. It'd be nice to see some kind of formal initiative or something, you know, around yeah. that. Like, <clears throat> like I, I know, um, like you know, there, there's angling clubs around here, say on the lake and things like that. And, and the average age of members is, is definitely, um, you know, it's it's quite elderly now. So yeah. I don't think young people are becoming involved certainly and in, in my experience in um in fishing clubs as much as i used to i think the same is true of a lot of a lot of clubs like tennis clubs golf clubs uh organized sport organized things like that people aren't maybe as inclined to to get involved yeah it's an interesting mm. and we touched on this in the last episode that's Tom, what we did actually yeah it's, um, it's interesting having deja vu there Shane. yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, because there's a lot of like we said there's a lot of other options for kids people whatever you know whether it's computer games internet whatever netflix mm. but it but it, but yet the flip side of it is i think it's really interesting you've had never had as much options because like yeah. you said if you wanted to join tennis club golf club canoeing whatever you want yeah. to do i'm sure it's all there like my yeah. 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 So, yeah so maybe that's part of the problem as well that there is so many options you know um, yeah like if you think about it, surfing has only been in Ireland. Yeah, maybe, you're right. Yeah, in a in a generation or two generations, like probably maybe late sixties, early seventies. Uh, I think mm. down in Rossnella, the, the the Britain brothers were probably the first people surfing here, and now it's absolutely exploded. It, it's it, it's great to see it, and it's great that people are getting out. But obviously, it's going to compete as an activity with other things. And so, yeah. Probably there's not as much uh, mystery maybe involved about getting a surfboard and catching a wave as there is getting a rod and catching a fish. But do you know so, what, actually, it's really interesting actually brought up the surfing one because why I think surfing is of interest, there's a culture, there's a subset there to it. So yeah. you're, you're buying into this kind of surfing culture, dude, you know, the waves, you know. <laughs> <laughs> there's a culture to fishing too, and it's definitely not surfing, dude. But that's the problem. <laughs> that's the problem. But, but yet you contrast it though to America where like the Ooh. steelhead culture you know, is it, yeah. to me, is a bit like the snowboarding, surfing, you know, yeah. in the summer you go surfing. There's a, there's a cool, uh, element to it. And I think the same yeah. is in Australia and New Zealand. Um, yeah. We don't seem to have that in Ireland as well. And I think maybe there's, uh, it's not as as an attractive proposition and maybe there's a bit of elitism involved and there's uh, mm-hmm. people are a little bit maybe afraid to, to, um, to try it out in, in some ways. 
whereas uh, other sports like, like surfing, for example, are very, very accessible. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's a key word, actually. It's accessibility. Uh, and again, like again, I think of my kids. Uh, my boys are nine, seven, and Gloria is four. Um, so they're aware of fishing, but only through me. So, yeah. you know, if they didn't have that, how would they get into it? But then likewise, like we go down to West Cork uh, for holidays during the summer. There's surf camps. Yeah. They can, so they'll get into that. There's swimming camps. There's all that. There's not a fishing camp. No, no. You know, no. But why not? Like, you know, maybe that's something that needs to be, you know, again, yeah. how can you, what needs to be done proactively and, and in a formalized structure? Yeah. And, and, and there's another um, element as well that this year, for example, the, the price of uh, a one day license and a 21 day license was increased. The, the one day license increased by 80% from, yeah. um, from 20 euro to 36 euro. So there's a mm-hmm. barrier to entry there. If you're, considering maybe trying salmon fishing for one day or surfing for one day immediately if you want to surf for one day or even half a day you have to pay 36 yeah. euros yeah so like on, on one hand uh like there was millions spent on the strategy for ending development and w- w- with a view to increasing participation and then two years after a pandemic where participation levels are at an all-time low we, we get an 80 percent price increase in licenses yeah so it doesn't seem to Part of my own view on that, and I'd probably get pilloried, but I, I actually think the one-day license should be free. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, really do. <laughs> I do, yeah, to encourage, because, you know, serious salmon fishermen are going to get more than a one-day one. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, but a taster or one day would be just to introduce people yeah. to that. Well, wouldn't the system, the danger with that system be abused? I'm just going for one day. I'm just going for one day. I'm just no, 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 day. no, but, you know, one day, Tom Sullivan, uh, F12, my postcode, I, I'm only entitled to one one day per year per annum. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, I know what you mean. Oh, yeah, I'll have another one day there, please. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm not too sure about salmon fishing yet. I think I might like it. I'll try it again. Yeah. Yeah. I'll try. keep trying until I catch. Yeah. yeah. It's like the complimentary yeah. drink. I'm not sure if I like it yet. You know? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe I'll try it with Red Bull next. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I just well, it's an interesting tangent we went off on there. Yeah, but 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 I but I know but you are I know you're very involved, Shane, in terms of kind of the wider tourism initiative and trying to get people involved, you know, in the outdoors and uh, you know whether it's kind of offering them you know fishing on one hand and then there's all other things people can do, isn't it? It's it's, it's yeah. you're trying to I suppose include fishing within that wider kind of perspective of it. Like. Well, I suppose where I would see the fishery and see myself has been very much a part of the local community and like when when uh, my family started the, the fishery and developed some holiday homes <clears throat> in the late, late 1970s and 1980s very few people were coming to the northwest of Ireland you had very very poor roads it was probably maybe a four or five um hour journey from Dublin airport Dublin airport was the only access point uh really convenient flights were expensive you had the troubles in northern Ireland so <laughs> it was it was a difficult proposition so for an area in northwest of Ireland where, you know, it was a fairly deprived area, really. Uh, not, not, not much employment. Tourism was something that was very, very beneficial for the area. So a lot of foreign anglers back in, in the day, the early days, a lot of Germans come in, <coughs> French and Swiss as well. And that, that was a huge boon for the area, for local shops, restaurants. And, you know, the, the value of that, I think, then, for for tourism is it's it's an important an important element for for the whole community not just for for, for fishery itself you know no oh, no it's, I, I i could say 
could see that up there where you are, Shane. It's huge for the whole community. Huge community. And it's interesting you say that because um, obviously you would have been bringing, when you started as the family with the holiday homes, you'd been bringing uh, anglers in all throughout the season. And yet in the back of my mind, I'm just thinking, oh, the drouse, it's early season. But sure, obviously yeah. there's, there's fish in there throughout, you know, throughout, you have a grill stream as well, <coughs> Absolutely, yeah. <coughs> like yeah. It, it's, it's a nine-month nine season, you know, so yeah. Is it, yeah, nine months, yeah. Um, yeah. What, when does the grill run start there? Normally, the, the peak time for grills would be June and July. So right. that would be, yeah. Um, Is that your busiest time of year, Shane? Uh, well, traditionally, uh, you, you could set your clock to, to grills. It's, it's becoming a little bit more sort of weather dependent or water dependent now. But yeah, June and July, like they're busy times for, I suppose, they, there's, uh, they coincide with a lot of people's holidays as well and schools are off. Yeah. So they, they, yeah, they, they'd be busy times, absolutely, yeah. Uh, come here, do you, do you have a back end run? Is there a later run at, at the end of <laughs> August, September? <clears throat> August is normally the, the quietest month for, for fishing. Like, you know, uh, right, yeah. grills run is normally over. September, you, you can get a run of fish. But what I did yeah. notice about, about 2020 was, if you remember during the, 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 when the lockdown came in in March, we had about maybe, it seemed like six weeks of glorious sunshine. Mm-hmm. So the weather was extremely, extremely good, but water levels were, were very low. One part of me was saying, if, if you were going to pick a time when no anglers were going to be allowed to travel, a time when, like, I actually walked up the, um, the, the bed of the river, uh, a couple of pools up from a, a pool called the, the Crooked Hole, and it was just bedrock. Yeah. So I had never seen it so early in, in springtime. But then when, uh, when the restrictions, restrictions were lifted about mid-May, we got some uh, some heavy rain, and mm, I've yeah, never did, seen yeah. such, a, such a prolific and prolonged run of grills, not since maybe the uh, the mid nineties. Yeah, as soon as that yeah. rain came in around mid May, and not, not just for not just for June and July, but into August, which was unusual, and right until the end of the season. Like I remember bailing a boat for 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 a guy on, on the last day of the season, and, and watching fresh grills coming in off off the off our slipway in, oh, into I Melbourne. Should... I remember, yeah, though, so, I remember though talking, Shane. Like a lot of people were saying that year, wasn't it? The runs that they were seeing of the fish, like, yeah, and they were wondering, yeah. was it that there was just less going on in terms of less people out? But even like maybe you know what was going on in the oceans in terms of transport, yeah. whatever was going on, there was just you know the way society had shut down. Had that then allowed the fish to whatever recover or come back? Like yeah, like uh, you know you hear all sorts of anecdotes or whatever I, I'm, I'm not really sure what the what the reason for for it was but it was certainly a a, a real phenomenon that there was a, a, a hugely increased run not not just with us but in other fisheries and we'll talk to other people as well that they, they witnessed it you know yeah um just to bring it then shane i know in terms of um like looking ahead to to, to the year to come like are, are you hopeful for for another good year that you know this is a chance for people to get back out and the enthusiasm will yeah. be there and the rooms will I, I hold think, up. Like, I think people have used uh, the lockdown to sort of um, reevaluate their priorities and, and think that, that they want to make an effort to spend more time on, on the riverbank or out in the boat or in the lake. So <clears throat> uh, even already, like we're seeing uh, an increase in bookings and um, a lot more inquiries. So I think it's going to be a busier. I think people are are like coil springs they want to uh, yeah. they want to get out there and they want they want to get back on the water and meet up with uh, friends and family again and, and and enjoy the outdoors yeah it's interesting you sorry there Darry. you said that because this is the first 
January you've had a fish since 2018. That's right, yeah. So yeah. would yeah. you be sort of thinking then though that hopefully it's going to be a good year or is that just, that's a well, blip or not, or, you know, an up and a down or would you say no, yeah. hopefully this is going I, to be I, good. I, I, I wouldn't read too much into it, Tom, to be honest okay, with you. Okay, good, uh, yeah. yeah. You know, one swallow doesn't make a summer and one, yeah, fair uh, enough. one, one springer doesn't make a, doesn't make a season. Mm. So, you know. You make um, a man's it, day though. Yeah, absolutely, you certainly can. Yeah, um, or yeah, woman. No, it's 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 great. Um, but yeah, but we we'd certainly be hopeful that uh, you know there'd be um, some some good uh, good spring fishing and and again like you know that there'd be decent water levels and good fishing conditions throughout the season. Yeah, and you would advise then maybe Shane anyone listening that hasn't tried the drows um, or even you know fancies. Picking up a rod, having a go at something. Would you advise them maybe come in July, June, July? Is that the kind of best time yeah, for them? I, I suppose for for spring fishing, um, the, the peak time would normally be from about mid March until mid May. That's when you'd see bigger numbers of, of spring fish. Like it's yeah. you know, fishing is 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 what it is. It's um, like I had shortly after the first salmon was caught this year, I had an email from uh, two German brothers, and they said they were going to hop on a plane and come over. And catch a salmon, and you know how many could they catch today? So <laughs> I just sent them an email saying it's, it's, it's not that easy. No like, problem. Uh, yeah. yeah, you know, many many people are going to fish without catching anything. So I didn't get any email back from them, but they didn't arrive. <laughs> but uh, you know, you, you have to temper people's expectations, and I think you have to be honest with people. And it's um, you know, you, you're going to have, <clears throat> have have lots of difficult fishing days, and I think maybe the days when you do land a spring fish or land your first fish that makes it all worthwhile. And I also think maybe maybe that's one reason that um, participation levels and younger people aren't getting involved in mangling as much is because that whole concept of um, not instant gratification or having to put in time before you reward it, it's it's a difficult concept to grasp. I think nowadays, but everything is instant. You have yeah. to yeah. you have to be rewarded for your effort immediately, and that's just not how fish fishing works, and it's certainly <laughs> not how spring salmon fishing works. I, you know? I, I, you know what? I think that's a it's a brilliant analogy um, to talk about that, that the, the instant gratification, mm. you know, like, you know, they talk about, like, I know in, even in the media, like the slow news, there's like a movement behind slow news and it's about, mm. you know, longer stories, you know, you delve deeper into stuff so that it's not just instant, instant, instant. Number. 140 it's, characters. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's almost like as if we're being, well, it has been shown that we have been trained now, like our attention span mm. has dropped yep. and, you know, like literally we've become conditioned to a certain way. Um, and and there is, but I, I think that's so true. And it's it's the reason why people who do get into fishing, isn't it? That it's just that chance to switch off, even if it's for that yeah. couple of hours. That's you're, you're you're not thinking of the phone, you're not thinking of the time. All you're concentrating mm-hmm. on is the water and your fly in front, like. And that's the absolutely key yeah. yeah. Like you know, uh, I you know I've been talking to t- different people fishing this year, and at the end of the day, you know, seeing how, how the day went, or did they see any fish? And you know, often people would say to you. I didn't, uh, you know, didn't see a fish, but, you know, it was great to be out. And, you know, you, you get the feeling they're just saying that to be nice or, you know. You know yeah, they're, they're, yeah. They're yeah. But I, I genuinely think that this year uh, there's people are, people mean that. People mm. are glad to be out. People uh, maybe are more appreciative that they can get out and that we're, we're back to a situation where, you know, we've, we, we, we can, we can get on the riverbank and we, we, we can fish and, it's just the that, that appreciation again, again, you know. 
And I think as well as it's what I love in it, whether it's the Drows or any of these places around Ireland is, and it's it's a chance to visit different parts of Ireland that you wouldn't have gone to. And a lot of these places they're very evocative. You know, they're steeped yeah. in history, the landscape. You know, that's all part of the mm. experience. You know, like the Four Masters Bridge. You might just explain the Four Masters Bridge there, yeah. um, Shane. Yeah, so the uh, the Four Masters Bridge is um, about a mile downstream from the lake, and there's a uh, originally it was called uh, Mullinleck Bridge. Mullinleck is uh, it's the townland there is called it's the, the Mill of the Flagstones, and uh, those mills are where my family had the, the sawmills and previously a flax mills <coughs> and, and a corn mill. So uh, the four masters were uh, they were Franciscan friars, and um, there was a lot of controversy about. They wrote a history of Ireland called the Annals of the Kingdom of Ireland or the Annals of the Four Masters. And all the hand kettle wash there, yeah. yeah. The, um, the the local school is called the Four Master School, so you know they're um, they're well remembered in the area. But there was a lot of, a lot of controversy about where the annals were were actually uh, written. So the, the Franciscans had an abbey in Donegal Town, but the, during during the writings they they described their location as egg drows. So at the drows, so and then there, there's a townland just at the, at the where, where the river flows out of Loch Melvin called Ross Friar. So the, the the point of the the, the the fires, so you know there was there was a lot of speculation. I think back in the nineteen sixties or seventies, there was a it would be the equivalent of a Twitter war now, but it was done through the pages of the Irish Times about where, where the location of the the, the friars' house on the Drowis was. So eventually, anyways, uh, it was concluded that it was either uh, in a place called Maharakar outside of Bendoran near the mouth of the river, or else in Ross Friar at the at the beginning of, beginning of the Drowis. So they, they put up a, a monument. It was unveiled in 1974 by uh, Kerb Dolly, the, the then president, and uh, the bridge was renamed from Mullinleck Bridge to the Four Masters Bridge. Oh, Four Masters. So, ah. Four Masters Bridge. Yeah, so it, it, it's a, it's an important, I think they, they recorded uh, history uh, from the Great Flood, which... They did, um, yeah. The, it's the very water interesting. Was, I water was very high that year. <laughs> but, um, so that, I think uh, 2,000 years of Irish history was recorded yeah. uh, along the banks of the river, and it's, it's, it's the most uh, important document that we have um, for a lot of ancient Irish history. Brilliant. Yeah, that's Brilliant. really good. I often Funny, I often wondered about that, why it was called the Four Masters Bridge. And I didn't yeah. know that it was tied in so close to locally there. I won't get into the argument whether it was Ross Fryer or Maharaj. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah uh, so often it was just in that locality there. Because I've, I've driven over that bridge, right. and I often wondered. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I, there were some repairs into it there recently. Uh, it was we had a big flood here about four years ago, and it was nearly the bridge was quite uh, quite damaged, so it had to be repaired. It was closed for about six months, you know. And I encourage people just to do a Google search for Masters Bridge. You'll see the picture, and it'll it'll entice sure you. It'll whet the appetite. You know, the next thing you'll have yeah. to do is go in person. Like, yeah. And the the, uh, the the bridge itself then was 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 actually blown up in the, in the Civil War in 1922. Yeah, and my, my grandfather was he, he didn't blow up the bridge now, but he he, he lived beside it while it was blown up, yeah. and uh, it, it, you know because the, the country was being uh, reconstructed and uh, the rubble of the bridge was in the in the river for about two years, and he noticed that just outside his house was a great salmon pool. So then, when my dad took over the fishery, he had heard the story from my grandfather. So he recreated the, the conditions of, of the pool, which is now the mill pool. Not and by blowing up the bridge, I hope. <laughs> no, no, he, 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 <laughs> brought, he brought in some stone from elsewhere. <laughs> <laughs> 
And so that's how the Millpool is still there now to this day. That, that's what the wow. Millpool is still there. Like, that's the, brilliant. The yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's, that's brilliant. Well, look, I'd highly encourage anybody listening to get a taste of the Drez this year in 2022. There's no excuse um, to be out and about um, and, you know, either spring fishing or grill strun, um, whatever takes your fancy, but do have a go and uh, soak up some of the history while you're at it as well. We'll check out the Mill Pool and the Four Masters Bridge. Shane Gallagher, continued success um, for 2022 and beyond. Thanks a minute for joining us. Thank you, Derek. Thank you very much. Thanks, Tom. So our thanks to Shane Gallagher for joining us on the show. Uh, don't forget to rate, review and follow the Ireland on Fly podcast on Apple, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts from. And you might even hear from Shane Gallagher as well. Plus, you can keep up to date on IrelandOnTheFly.com as well as on Instagram. And myself and Tom will be back with another episode about the people and places <laughs> of fly fishing in Ireland. 